So we want to welcome everybody out, let you know we are glad you're here. Uh, my name is Gary. If this is your first time here, you don't know who I am. And uh, we are at Greater Alton, uh, spending the first six weeks of this year looking at the gospel. Now you say, why are we doing that? Uh, well, we have a theme this year uh, that we got from Colossians chapter 1, uh, down around verse 9. Our theme for the year is fill me. We get that from Paul's prayer where he prayed for the Colossians that they would be filled with all wisdom and knowledge of God's will through His Spirit. And we chose this theme for the year, uh, and we made it fill me instead of fill you, because we want you folks to grab a hold of that theme as your own, to make it personally your theme. Not because we gave it to you, but because we hope that somewhere throughout this year, that will be your prayer that you desire to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through the wisdom and knowledge that come from His Spirit. And so we're going to be spending time this year uh, looking at Colossians, specifically chapter 1. We'll be using Colossians chapter 1 as sort of an outline of what we're looking at. And uh, we talked about this two weeks ago at our uh, New Year's Eve service. And uh, if you go online, I believe you can find the, the audio recording of that if you want to listen to it and have it explained a little bit more thoroughly. But the prayer that we see Paul praying in Colossians chapter 1, that begins in verse 9, was based upon the knowledge he had of the Colossians that he talked about in verses 3 through 8. And specifically, that they had a reputation for having faith and a love for all of God's people. And it said that this faith and this love uh, were, came about through an accurate understanding of the true message of the Gospel and the hope that was held out in that true message of the Gospel. And so we wanted to take the first six weeks of this year to say, hey, look, if we want to be like the Colossians, then we need to understand the Gospel the way they did. We need to make sure we have an accurate understanding of the true message of the Gospel. Last week we talked about the significance of the Gospel and the fact that there are different Gospels out there. There were different Gospels in the first century where people took the Gospel of Jesus and they modified it a bit. And uh, there are different Gospels out there today. And I, I encourage you to go back and either look at the notes or listen to the audio on that if you haven't already. Because what we want to talk about, you know, we chose this because... Um, the Colossian church is an awesome example. And we want to follow that example. We entitled the series Unshaken. The challenge to live like a Colossian. Now, what's that all about? Well, it's kind of a play on things. The town of Colossae was built upon an earthquake fault. In fact, the city no longer exists today because of earthquakes. And from what I understand in my brief research, uh, they don't even know for sure where the city was. And, you know, archaeologists have not even excavated the town. It's gone. So the church at Colossae was literally living on an unstable world. And how do you live unshaken on an unstable world? I believe the Gospel is how you do that. Is you understand the Gospel because it's not going to change. And it gives you hope for the future. And it gives you hope for your life. And uh, as we go through this, guys, that's what we hope. We hope it creates a stability in your faith, a stability in your life, 
and that you can literally live like a Colossian, understanding the true message of the Gospel and be full of faith and love the way they were. That's our goal for Greater Alton. We want this church, this group of believers, this group of followers of Jesus to be known for our faith and our love. And so guys, we call you to that. We're, we're pulling you out of that. Um, asking you to do that. Um, I want to remind you, uh, as a means of encouragement, that last week during the lesson, I asked you to write down your understanding of the Gospel. What do you think a person needs to know before they become a follower of Jesus? What information needs to be shared? I shared last week about how my understanding has grown over the last several years. And there are different elements of the Gospel that I've come to a greater understanding of. Some of those I minimized in the past. Some of them I flat out ignored. And that by doing so, I was presenting what I would have to say as a different Gospel was not the true message of the Gospel that, that Jesus wants me to share. And so guys, I want you to, uh, to understand that today, what we are going to be talking about... Well, let me just back up a minute. Uh, the word Gospel, it loosely translated or most commonly translated, simply means good news. Alright? It's taken from a word uh, that's on your notes there. It's euangelion, which is uh, what the word meant was it was the good news of a military victory. That's the way it was used, where when there was a military battle going on between two countries or two nations, and the, the victorious nation would send out the Yulon Galeon. And back in those days, they did not have internet, they did not have cell phones, they did not have any phones, they did not have newspapers. And so their way of getting news out was they'd send out the Yulon Galeon. They'd send people to the far reaches of the kingdom to say there's a new king. It's good news, and they'd also post a list of his rules, his way of doing things. And so it was considered typically to be good news. Obviously, the victors considered it good news. Not sure if those who were overrun did. Hopefully they did, but that's what they did. But guys, what we want to talk about today, an example of which is found in your notes in Colossians chapter 2, and the, kind of the thesis for this lesson today is that you cannot fully understand and appreciate the good news till you know the bad news. Alright? And in Colossians chapter 2, you see this very briefly uh, illustrated. Beginning in verse 11, Paul says, When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. The cutting away of your sinful nature. What's he saying there? Your sinful nature was the bad news. And that's what we're going to be unpacking here today. He goes on to say, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with Him you were raised to new life, because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You see, folks, when he talks about your sinful nature was done away with, that's the bad news that the good news is contrasted with. And to, to fully understand the sinful nature and the consequences of it, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. If you were wanting to do some follow-up to my lesson today, I highly encourage you to go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're going to be looking at different segments of this. 
Uh, I may have made a mistake in that I'm assuming everybody knows the basic story of Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they were told not to, to eat, and as a result, there were consequences. Okay, That's when sin entered the world. And we're going to be discussing this more fully as I go through. Um, and as I stated earlier, to fully understand and appreciate the good news, I must know the bad news. And in a, in a, you want to encapsulize it? I'm just going to put it this way. We live in a world that is corrupted. The bad news is that this world we live in is corrupted. Last week I told the story of my, my nieces that got a hold of my iced tea while I was asleep and put sugar in it. Massive amounts of sugar. And they corrupted my iced tea. It turned from a, from a pleasant drink to a syrup. And it was corrupted. Guys, the world we live in is, has been corrupted by sin. And I think we need to understand that. We need to understand what it's like now and how bad it is, but what it was intended to be. And the best way I know to illustrate that is a, is a story. I'm reading a book called Escape from Camp 14. Uh, may, most of you, I'm guessing, has never heard of that book. Uh, it's about a, a, a young man from North Korea his name, to the best of my ability to pronounce it, is Shin Dong Yok. Okay? And I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. But you need to understand, Shin is from North Korea, but not the North Korea you read about most of the time. He's, he lived his entire life in North Korea inside a political prison camp. He was born inside that prison camp somewhere but either 1980 or 1982. They're not sure. Because his existence in that, in that camp is something we cannot begin to really comprehend. And that's why I'm reading the book, because I want to. His father was put in that prison camp sometime during the 1950s, simply because his father's brother had, had fled the country. And the North Korean regime believes that basically the, then the whole family is corrupt. So his brother was arrested and put in this camp and remains there to this day, the way I understand it. Um, his, his mother was there also. I don't remember why. I know they told us. But his mother and father was an arranged marriage. They were given to each other as a reward for being good workers inside the camp. And I say given to. It's not a marriage like you, would, you and I would, would commonly associate. Uh, the father got to spend five nights a year with the mother. That's all Shin saw of his father was five nights a year. And he said basically when he'd show up, he would ignore him. He has no memory at all of his mother ever telling him that she loved him. He said he had no concept of trust or of honesty. He viewed his mother and his brother as competitors for food because they fed them so little. He said as a young child, his mother would leave him in their Apartment. I won't get into all that. That's a real loose terminology. She would leave him there. They believe he was tied to something when he was extremely young just to stay safe. But she would leave. They would eat breakfast together. She would leave for work and she would come home for lunch with food that she had gotten the previous day and she would leave it there with him. Well, a hungry kid, what do you think he does? He eats his food well before lunchtime and he eats his mom's portion too. And he said his mom would come home, hungry from work, find him if ate her food, and she would beat him. 
He said he received worse beatings from his mother than he did from the guards. This is the world that Shin lived in. Okay, When he was 14 years old, by then he wasn't living with his mother. He was living in a dormitory with other, other young men, other teenage boys. And he was allowed to go home for the night. His mother and brother were there and they were unhappy to see him. Didn't know why. But later as he went to sleep or was trying to go to sleep, he heard them talking of escape. And you see, inside the camp, the only way to get any kind of favor, any kind of benefit was to tell on somebody. And they would routinely do that where they would routinely interrogate you and ask for information. And so he knew, number one, he had to tell. Number two, he thought, hey, I can get something out of this. So he turns his mother and his brother in. But instead of getting something, the guard he talked to took credit for exposing it, and now they wanted to know what he knew about it. He was put in an underground underground prison where he was tortured. He was hung by his basically hogtied with his feet and feet and hands in the air, hoisted over a fire, and they put a hook through his groin area, like a giant fish hook, to hold him in place till he passed out. He has scars on his back to this day from that. He was kept underground in that prison for six months, not seeing the light of day. And when he was taken out of that to see the light of day, he was put in a car and taken to and forced to watch the execution of his mother and his brother. This is the, I mean, guys, when, when I read this story, I thought, I gotta buy the book. I gotta, I, I wanna understand this in, in greater detail. Because you look at that and you go, I mean, it's plain as day. You go, he experienced nothing of life the way it's supposed to be. The only time in his life where he can remember coming close to being satisfied with food food, was when he was young enough that him and his friends had free time and they would hunt and kill rats and cook them. And they tell you how to cook a rat in the book, by the way. And, And you look at that and you go, that's not what life is supposed to be like. And that's why he finally escaped. He got paired with a prisoner who had been on the outside and he told him stories of food. And he said to this day, he thinks, you know, the, the, the ultimate meal is roasted chicken because it's what this other prisoner told him all about. And guys, you look at that and you say, that's nothing what life is supposed to be like. I mean, can you imagine that life compared to what we have today? What we experience? I mean, dramatic difference. Guys, I tell that story because I believe it illustrates very accurately the life we experience here compared to the life as God intended for us to experience as as His creation. I believe the, the difference is that dramatic and we don't look at it that way. We take the life we have and we kind of accept it. And I believe the good news, as we're going to be unpacking over the next coming weeks, is in response to the bad news. So today we want to talk about the bad news as as briefly as we can and we'll go forward. Um, And what I want to talk about is is we're going to go through several things from from Genesis 2 and 3 of what to get a try to get a picture of what God's intention was for how man was to experience life. You see, I believe that when the details in the Bible are there for a reason. 
believe it or not, as big as the Bible is, God is actually pretty brief sometimes. And I believe this is one of those places where He's giving us details of information we need to know. So if you want to look in your notes, I'm going to begin reading in, in Genesis chapter 2, uh, beginning in verses, it looks like 25 or 26. But this is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. Okay, guys, got about eight things here we want to talk about, about what was God's intention for man. The first thing you see here is that God's intention for man was to rule creation as His representatives. To rule creation as His representatives. We are here to represent God. That's what made in the image of God is talking about. We were made to represent Him here. The word that's used behind that is icon. E-I-K-O-N. It doesn't take long to figure that out. We are representative of Him to represent Him here on the earth. And I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. I don't understand it all. Okay, But it says, what was man supposed to do there? It says, to rule over creation. We were to rule with God over His creation the way He wanted us to do. The problem was, we didn't want to rule with God. We wanted to rule as God. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. They said, basically, this, this, the, the devil through the snake, the serpent, was telling them, God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to know as much as He knows. You want to be like Him. You want to be Him. But we had to understand, guys, we were created to be His representatives. And instead of just trusting God, they decided to take control of the situation. The second thing, guys, is that we were to expand the garden to fill the whole earth. In verse 28, that's what he's talking about. Fill the earth and subdue it. We were to expand the garden and to fill the whole earth. The third thing of God's intention for man was to be provided for by Him as we fulfilled this purpose. I don't know if you caught that or not. Okay? God's giving them all of the plants and the seed-bearing fruits as food. Okay? And, you, and you'll notice, you're probably starting to unpack some of this on your own as I go, where you know in Genesis 3 what was one of the penalties for sin that we're going to get to specifically... Adam had to now work for his food. He went from being provided for to having to provide for himself. 
that's what it is. Here in Genesis 2, this is what it says. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God decided, He goes, I am going to provide for you. Because they sinned, the bad news is, we have to provide for ourselves. Going on, the next thing that how God intended for man was He intended for us to live forever. You guys, you know, Mike, Mike got up here and made the announcement today and talking about Travis's mother's passing. And the truth of the matter is that that's very fresh and it's very raw and it's very emotional for Travis. But the truth of the matter is death touches us all in some form or fashion. I don't have to go through the names. We've had people from this congregation die in the last couple of years. We are getting to be an older congregation. And there's no doubt, death is a reality of life. I've stood up here several weeks ago and I told you, the spoiler for life, you are going to die. Everybody's headed there. Do you know that's not the way you were intended to live? I mean, you, were, you, weren't, you weren't intended to die. God created man to live forever. That's not the case now. Nobody here is going to beat death. The only way you will not die physically is if you are alive when Jesus comes back. That's the only way. You're intended to live forever. Uh, number five, God created, or God intended for creation, that creation would cooperate with man. What? What do you mean he cooperate with man? Well, look at this in Genesis chapter three. This is what's called the curse. In Genesis chapter 3, God is talking to Adam. He's already pronounced the curse on the serpent. He's pronounced the punishment for Eve. And here's what he says. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you will return. Guys, you need to understand something. Why, why do I say that creation was intended to cooperate with man? Because this punishment that you see in Genesis chapter 3 for Adam, that he's going to have to work the ground, and as he works it and tries to bring in a crop to feed him and his family, it's going to produce thorns and thistles. Okay, it's not a punishment if some, if it, unless it's something different, something new. Okay, like with Eve, one of her punishments that we're going to read about here next is that she would it, her pains of childbirth would greatly increase. Side note, just curiosity. We don't, you know, as you, as you look at the Bible, again, it doesn't give you every last detail. We have no idea how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before they sinned. Okay? If you just read it on face value, it seems to be maybe a couple days even. You know, a couple weeks. We don't know. But some people believe that uh, they may have actually even had children in the garden 
And they base that upon the fact that God tells Eve, I'm going to greatly increase your, cha- your pains of childbirth. Which, mean, you know, which may indicate that there was some experience with childbirth already. That there was already some pain. He was going to take what was there and make it worse. And it's the same way with Adam in cursing the ground. He's saying what? Right now it cooperates with you. Now it's not. Up to this point, it didn't fight you. Now it will. And we're going to, again, we'll talk about that more in a minute uh, as we talk about it. But that's the bad news. Creation was intended to cooperate with man. Now it does not. Number six, God intended for husband and wife to have emotional intimacy. In Genesis 2, 24 and 25, it talks about them being naked and unashamed. And Bob Quick was asking me about this after the teacher's service. What was this connection with 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 being with shame and, and nakedness. I don't understand it completely other than the fact that you know there was just there was just no barriers. There was no there was complete openness. And I believe that went well beyond physical. If there was no shame, there was no there was no inhibitions with each other. There was an emotional intimacy which we only strive for in marriage today. You know? Look at this, look at this passage here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, To the woman it said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Some translations translate that last sentence as, and I'm told this is more accurate, Your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. Let me ask you, how much conflict in marriage can go right back to that statement? Okay? How much trouble in this world that we live in today can go back to that right there? You see, guys, that didn't exist before. That conflict, that desire for control, who was going to have a say in things, did not exist. I don't know what that means exactly, but I know that what we experience isn't the way it was intended to be. Number seven, God intended for us to have an intimate relationship with Him. In Genesis 3, 8-10, this is what it says. It says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called upon the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You see, guys, I talked a little bit about this in the fall when we did a series on fear. Fear is the polar opposite of faith. And fear kills your relationship with God. Let me say this type of fear kills your relationship with God. God intended for us to have a relationship with Him that was completely open, completely vulnerable, and there would be no fear. 
And that gets us to our last point, is God intended for us to live free of fear and shame. And that's in all of our relationships. You know? Who was the gentleman? Was it Rodney King? Who was the gentleman in Los Angeles that, 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 that got beat up by the police? You remember his famous statement? Was it Rodney King? Is that right? Remember what his famous statement was? Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we all just get along? Why don't we all just get along? Because sin entered the world. Okay? God and the world as we exist, the world that we have experienced is not what God intended. We have a fear and a shame that is not to exist. And it kills our relationships. It challenges our relationships. And guys, we want to know that. Guys, I, I, I throw this all out here, and I know this is a little bit different than what we normally, how we try to do our lessons here on Sunday morning. This is more of a teaching. This is more of giving you information. But I hope it's, it will stir your mind to think. I'm hoping, I'm planning, I'm, I'm asking that through this series, you're investigating the Gospel. You're opening up your Bible on your own and looking at what it says. You're looking at this at the bad news. You see, typically, when I would share the Gospel with somebody, I would go back to perhaps to Genesis 3, and I would share the bad news, but I wouldn't talk about all this. All I would talk about is man sinned, everybody sins, and sin separates us from God. Guys, and that, that is true. And the Gospel of Jesus does turn that around, but there's so much more to the story. And we want to give it completely. Now, you see now guys, but there's more to it than just that. Understanding the bad news has some benefits. Understanding and accepting the bad news has the benefits. And the first one is that when I understand and know and understand the bad news, I understand life better. Have you ever wondered why life is difficult? Oh, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. Has anybody ever in here ever found life to be difficult? Okay? <laughs> these, these two middle schoolers down here found life to be difficult. Okay, listen close, because it ain't going to get better, alright? <laughs> I love the middle schoolers. Guys, life is difficult. Life is full of worry and trouble. You know, one thing, Tim and I talk often, and one of the things that, that, that helps us when we're up here is, to, is for you folks to respond in some way. Not, not to throw things, um, but you know, if you laugh, laughter is the most, you know, we love that the most. Uh, so if you think we're even remotely funny, please laugh out loud. Um, but one of the things that I get the most response from in the form of affirmation, and is, is I hear, hear I, I can tell on facial expressions, I can tell on head nods. Uh, if I mention the struggle with worry, or ask how many people worry, you go, oh, people shake their heads. I get that a lot because everybody knows what worry is. How would you like to live a life without worry? That's the challenge. And honestly, guys. That's the good news of the gospel is you can. Okay, and you will. And we're going to be getting to that. 
But guys, you need to understand, sometimes, and I'm a man that struggled with depression for a large part of my adult life. And part of my struggle was I want, I kept thinking life should be easier. And when you look at the bad news, you understand why it's such a challenge. And not just generic that it's an evil world, but specifically. Specifically when it comes to earning a living. It's not easy. Okay, and I can remember I was still in my 40s. And I was dealing with this, and I remember Mike Kiffmeyer came to visit me. I was working on a job, and I was having a hard day, and I was struggling with my mood big time, and I was just getting, I was just beginning to really understand this in a real way, and I was talking to Mike, and I go, this is all thorns and thistles. And he goes, what? You know? The thorns and thistles weren't just for farmers. Okay, because I'm not a farmer doesn't mean I'm not gonna have troubles or difficulties. And what it tells me is, I sh- what this tells me, when I understand the bad news, I understand why this is this way, and I don't fight it. Oh, I have to, I have to deal with the thorns, I have to deal with the thistles, but I don't live life under the illusion that someday I'm gonna get everything lined up just so-so, and it's gonna be easy. It helps me to understand it. I won't ask for a raise of hands because I know the answer to this question, but how many of you find marriage to be a challenge? (laughs) Thank you, Barb. (laughs) Guys, this explains it. Marriage is a challenge. Okay? If you don't see it as a challenge, I might be concerned about you. If you're really living in reality. But guys, it's to be expected. That's the bad news. God didn't intend us to live this way, but we have to deal with it. You see, folks, Psalm 73, the psalmist talks about this. And he talks about it in a much broader sense. I encourage you, I've just got four of the verses on our, on our notes there today. Uh, we're going to read here. But I encourage you to go back and read that whole chapter yourself. And to, and to really look to understand it. So let's read it. It begins in verse 2. It says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold because I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on after this, in the the verses in between here, to talk about how they don't have any troubles, their bodies are healthy, they got plenty of food and money, everything's good for them, they don't have any troubles at all. And then he goes on, he says, when I tried to understand this, It troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. You see guys, when you look at what God has to say and the information He's revealed to us, and you look at the bad news in Genesis 2 and 3, it helps you to put the right perspective on life now. It helps you to understand what's going on. And quite honestly, as we're going to be getting to in the coming weeks and a little bit here today, it makes the good news that much better. It really does. Um, The next thing, guys, I understand the bad news. I understand the story of the Bible more clearly. 
I understand the story of the Bible more clearly. I've said this before for years, but it's only been in the last couple of years that I fully, I'm beginning to fully understand it. And that is, there is one continuous story through the Bible. From beginning to end. And when you understand this, and you see it, there will be passages in the Bible that you used to not be able to get. You'd read past, you'd read through, you'd skip over whatever you needed to do. And all of a sudden, they will come to light. And you will understand the Bible more clearly. In Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter, and Paul, Peter and John have healed a man, healed a crippled man. And as a result of this, they get the opportunity to share the gospel. And beginning in uh, verse 19, you're, if you've studied the Bible with anybody here at Greater Alton, you're familiar with Acts 3.19. Well, we're going to read all the way to verse 21. But this is what it says. It says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that He may send the Messiah, which is going to be our topic for next week, who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive Him until the time comes for God to restore everything as He promised long ago through His holy prophets. Guys, what is what does this restore everything? When you read that, is that something you talk about when you're sharing the Gospel, that God is planning in the future to restore everything? Let me just give you the, the, the Greek word that's, that's translated there. It means a restitution or restoration of thing to its former state. Hence, the renovation of a new and better era. What is God planning on restoring? Well, it says it. He's going to restore all things. Now, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. The same way I can't tell you exactly what life was like in the garden. He doesn't give us every detail. He does tell us that there's a plan to restore everything. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. He talked about at the renewal of all things. You see guys, the story of the Bible is that God created the world. And then sin came into the world and the consequences for sin. And now God has a plan to restore things the way He wants them. I can't tell you every detail of that, but I think it's very plain that He plans on this restoration. He talked about it in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. It was what's considered the very first prophecy about this where he talks about that the seed of woman was going to crush the serpent's head. And that's considered the very first prophecy about the Messiah, about Jesus. And you find prophecies all through the Bible leading up to this. And this is what Paul is talking about. If you look back in your notes in verse 21, the end of it, where he says, as he promised long ago through His holy prophets. You see, guys, He's prophesied all about... Peter's saying what? All this has been talked about. All this has been prophesied about. And if you go back, and I encourage you to do this, to look at verses 22 and following in Acts, 
he says, first of all, Moses prophesied about Jesus when he said he's going to raise up a ruler from among you. And then he says, all the prophets beginning with Samuel on talked about this. And then he goes all the way back to Abraham where God told Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations through you. You see, guys, God's been talking about this restoration for some time. And next week, that's what we're planning on talking about. We want to look at some of the prophecies of the Messiah. Some of the prophecies of what was going to happen when He came back. You see, in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3, where you find Peter preaching and sharing the Gospel, he speaks very freely about the Messiah. And we tend to brush over that. Well, that's Jesus. But we don't really have an understanding of what they expected the Messiah to be. What they expected to happen when the Messiah came. He doesn't explain it in those passages because his audience already had a very clear understanding of it. They understood the Messiah. They weren't entirely accurate, but they were expecting the Messiah. And guys, this story goes on. Let me show you a little bit, show you this a little bit more. In another passage, it's not in your notes. It's in Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 20. And uh, it helps you to understand the Bible a little more clearly. We've already seen in Genesis chapter 3 where the ground was cursed because of the sin. And it was going to, to resist the, the raising of a crop. It was going to resist Adam and the rest of us providing for ourselves. And it's been cursed. Look at this in Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 18, this is what it says. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now catch this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Hmm. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Again, guys, I can't give you all the details of that. I wonder of many things of what this passage is talking about. I mean, if you read this and, and you take it on face value, it seems to say that creation has a consciousness. I mean, are you saying that, Gary? I'm not saying that. That sounds crazy. But it's sure, it's sure what it looks like. It's longing to see the sons of God revealed. It's longing to be freed from this frustration and this bondage to decay. And it describes it as being in the pains of childbirth. I don't know, but I can tell you one thing. I can tell, what I can tell you is I believe there's a direct connection with what it's talking about here and what happened in Genesis 3 where the ground was cursed. And all of a sudden there's an understanding. When you look at the bad news completely, it helps you to understand the good news and what's coming. And that's what we're going to be looking at in the coming weeks. Uh, the last thing, guys, 
uh, is that it provides, if I understand the bad news correctly, is, is I have a living hope. When I look around this world today, it stinks. I don't mind saying that. I don't mind saying that. You see what's going on, and I don't care what you look at, okay? Politicians are a joke. They're sad. I'm not saying there's not some good ones, but by and large, they don't provide answers. Okay? You look at Hollywood, and you look at all this sexual assault that's going on. You talk about North Korea and the crap that's going on over there. You talk about the struggles in your own life. And most of the time, you can find good reason for life to be less than desirable. Guys, I have a living hope. Let's look at this in 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He is giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You see, guys, the good news of Jesus is I have hope. That this bad news doesn't have to overwhelm me. That I don't have to accept it and just deal with it the best way I can the way the young man did in North Korea. Guys, I have a living hope. And he connects that. That hope comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And guys, those are the things we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the resurrection. We're going to be talking about Jesus as Messiah. And guys, these are all in response to the bad news. So guys, as I close out today, I just want to ask you, for those of you who have already taken the initiative uh, to jot down, to write down what your understanding of the Gospel is, I ask you, how much of the bad news do you share? How much of the bad news do you understand? Because it's going to influence the good news that you tell. For the rest of you, I encourage you to write down, take my, my challenge, my request, to write down your understanding of the Gospel. Because we don't want, and I don't think you want, to believe or to share a different gospel. Alrighty? Let's pray. We'll be done for the day. Alrighty? Father, I am in awe. The more I dig into your word and the more I understand it, I'm in awe of number one of how ignorant I've been in the past and how arrogant I was to think that I knew more than I really did. Father, I want to pray You open our minds as we go through this study, as we continue through looking at Your Gospel. Father, today the Gospel is reduced too many times to a soundbite. I mean, literally, I've seen or heard a guy on TV just saying, pray this prayer right now. And if you prayed this prayer, that's it. And Father, it, I just believe there's so much more. I don't believe that does the Gospel justice. Father, I want to ask You to be with those in this room and the other members of Greater Altman are here to open our hearts and our minds to have a real desire to understand Your Gospel. Father, to be real seekers of truth the way we talked about last week. And Father, just to really to step up to the plate and to take the challenge to examine what we believe, what we share. Father, I believe the biggest reason we don't share the Gospel more is because we don't have a good understanding of the Gospel. It's not that good of news to us. 
So Father, I ask You as we begin 2018 as a church to fill us with Your knowledge of Your will. To fill us with the knowledge of Your Gospel. Father, make us seekers of You. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.